Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Back Truck Up Podcast. I'm James Rooster Bowen. I'm here with Justin Super Trucker Martin. And before we get started, I want to thank OTR Solutions for being the sponsor of this podcast. Their factory programs and solutions have taken sporting trucking companies to a whole new level. I can do a whole podcast on everything these guys bring to the table and the success stories that have come from working with them. But for now, head on over to otrsolutions.com slash BTU to learn more, connect with our dedicated BTU team. Justin, how are you doing today, my friend? Doing all right. Uh, I hear there's a lot of uh, thieving going on out there, so that's who we have on today to uh, talk about that. Well, it is a little bit of continuation of our last week's podcast, where, you know, where we're helping drivers get into the business and how to be success- successful at that. Well, this week we decided we'd go to the next most important thing about trucking, and that is uh, cargo security. And to help us with that, we uh, reached out to the Freightwaves Rolodex, and uh, we have a uh, over overhaul.com's daniel ramon on with us daniel how you doing i'm doing great thanks guys uh, for having me on how are y'all doing well uh, doing awesome cargo theft is like the worst thing that a driver can go through i've been through it myself i was parked overnight next to uh one of the uh, whole food dish not whole foods but a food distribution center over in atlanta over in the southeast side off international of you guys think pretty hard you kind of know where that was but uh parked for an hour and it's one of those you got to park you got to walk about a, a mile to the check-in station then come back and that whole time that i'd walk you know uh 30 minutes or so uh somebody had busted in the back of my trailer uh procured a couple of cases of toilet paper paper towels it was a georgia pacific load so you know really uh, more of a headache than what it was i don't know if they were thinking i was a truckload of beef that you know that something we're going to be talking about today but yeah you know days and days of going back to between the dispatcher the insurance agency uh the shipper the receiver make sure everything was documented you know getting police reports all that good stuff you know it's something we don't want every driver to have to go through so we're going to be talking about that today you know uh so get us started recently there's been this wild run of thefts out in the midwest jbs foods mclean foods out there has been getting hit with uh thefts of beef uh beef products and these loads aren't as cheap you know uh, beef's kind of expensive and then some of these loads have been going for you know a half a million million dollars so uh just kind of get started you know how would you protect yourself danny well, you know, that that's a real good question. Um, there's no silver bullet, first of all. Uh, and, and the kind of theft that you suffered, uh, we call pilferage in the industry. It's, you know, stealing less than the full trailer load and not stealing the actual tractor or trailer. You're just opening the trailer and taking whatever you can carry or whatever you can offload out of it. Uh, that's probably the most common form of theft. Uh, but the most, you know, dangerous and costly form of theft is is organized cargo theft or strategic cargo theft where they're stealing the entire tractor and trailer the whole load at the same time um now you ask how, how do you stop that how do you prevent that from happening uh, like i said there's no silver bullet um but i'm sure you've heard uh the saying uh that luck is really just the intersection of opportunity and uh and preparation right uh, so one of the biggest things that anybody can do is to remove opportunity, uh, because luck is just like cargo theft. It is the oppor- is the intersection of opportunity and preparation. Uh, so these guys are out there preparing all the time. I know it's been hitting the news, uh, the mainstream news, 
much more frequently as of late, but it's it's a constant problem. Uh, and we know that when it hits the mainstream news that it's becoming too big to ignore, uh, i.e. those rail thefts that we heard about uh, all last year in Southern California, uh, the meat thefts that are hitting the, the news now, and the Nike thefts that just hit the news uh, out of Memphis. Um, those are the ones that are, you know, big name brands will often make news. Um, but also, like you said, meats are rising in price. They have been rising for the last two years. Um, so those are obviously going to be hot commodities for thieves. Uh, another thing to do to keep yourself safe is, is know what they're targeting. Uh, organized cargo thieves are going to be going for whatever they can sell for the most profit. Cause if they fence a load, if they steal an entire tractor trailer, uh, a 52 foot trailer full of product, and they go to fence that all at once, they're going to get maybe 10 to 15% of the actual retail value of that load. Now, if they steal something that is a hot commodity at the moment, uh, something that has uh, shortages going on, is selling for higher on the secondary market than it does uh, on the retail shelves, or anything that has retail purchasing restrictions, like you can only buy one or two of them at a time kind of thing, they know they're going to be able to cut out a middleman and increase their profits with that. So awareness is also a real big key. Those photos out of California last year of you know the rail yards where you know a rail a rail car has the lock picked open and there's just Amazon packages all over the place. You know those are some crazy images, but I've never you know you saw them last year, but you don't hear about them anymore. Is that still like an ongoing thing, or is it just yeah? yeah no, it's it's still going on. Absolutely. As, as a matter of fact, it's spread. Uh, a lot of those mainstream news. Uh, news stories kind of serve to inform local criminals of opportunities almost, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not to say that it wasn't happening before, but we definitely did see it spike around the country after that. It is in the same places that we tend to see it. One thing I do want to point out, though, there's not locks on the back of these containers that are being picked. Uh, it's just like a trailer. Uh, a lot of them have low security plastic seals. Um, <laughs> some of them will have, you know, the bolt seals, which are quote unquote, high security seals, but I mean, you guys are truckers, you know, you know, those aren't really high security. Um, So that's, that's the same thing that that are on the rails. There's no padlocks or any kind of specialty lock on most of them. Uh, And a lot of them do that on purpose because, you know, security through obscurity Mm -hmm. is definitely, is definitely a practice as well. And if you're going to be sitting stationary on a two mile long train, you don't want to do anything to draw attention to your specific container. Uh, there's other things you can do when you're on rail to, to secure your containers. Uh, but I mean, that's, that's a completely different thing. Um, now one of the things that is different about what we're seeing with these rail thefts is that those tend to be local criminals. Um, they may be organized criminals, but they're not organized specifically around cargo theft. Uh, so organized cargo thieves, they'll travel all the way across the country. I'm talking, we've, I've heard of cases where there were thieves that were based out of Miami, live and, and, you know, operate day to day out of Miami, traveled to Washington state to surveil a distribution center, not even to commit a theft, just to surveil a distribution center. So these guys will travel anywhere they need to travel to get what they're after. Um, And with those meat thefts happening in Nebraska, I mean, that's not even a cargo theft hotspot. Uh, That's not even a major intersection of, of, of large interstate highways or anything. There's no major seaports nearby. It's very well landlocked, you know? So that being the case, that's, they were probably stolen to order. Uh, we do know that a lot of the cargo theft syndicates do get orders in advance of actually targeting any cargo. They'll say, Hey, you know, go get me this product and they'll do their best to go and get that. So if I boost a you know, load of, or three trailer loads full of meat, where am I taking it to, to, to sell it? 
Well, if you're bo boosting three full trailer loads, like I said, you probably already have a buyer. Hmm. Uh, that buyer is going to be, you know, kind of the middleman. He's not the one who's actually going to sell it. He's not even necessarily going to sell it to the people who are going to retail it, but he's got a network set up that fence. Um, so he's going to be able to distribute it through the gray market. If I'm a but uh, if, and it, if I'm a butcher shop, do I even know, or would I even be able to know if there was a, if, if, if the meat I'm buying, do, do I even know if it's stolen or not? Not necessarily. Uh, yeah. A lot of these guys will then reintroduce it into the legitimate supply chain, right? It's not hard uh, to falsify paperwork. There's not a lot of paperwork required uh, for chain of custody and those types of things either. So if you can get it back into, uh, if, they, if there's a shell company, somebody set up like an LLC, you know, Johnny's Butcher Shop LLC, and they say, hey, you know, we, we're just opening and we've got a special uh, for new customers, and it's going to save you X percent on your, you know, weekly, monthly, whatever it is, butcher order. Yeah, a lot of businesses will do it, especially uh, the non-franchise, the local shops kind of thing. Uh, but that's not to say it doesn't end up in, in the larger chains as well. Uh, it is just easier to get into those smaller retail chains. That's amazing. So, I, you know, meat thefts, I can kind of understand because, you know, you go to the grocery store and you see how expensive meat is at the moment. Are there any other products or commodities right now that are seeing a rise in thefts that uh, we have in the past? Well, you know, it's, it, it's hard to pinpoint because reporting obviously takes time, right? So mm -hmm. if something gets stolen today, I might not hear about it for a week. I might not hear about it for a month. Um, but we do know that there's so obviously, you know, meat right now because it's spiking in price. Uh, also, what helps with that is it's not serialized. You know, it's not hmm. a PlayStation. You can't, you know, you look it up online and say this steak came from this cow that came from this plant, whatever it was, right? Um, but we do know latest generation video game consoles uh, are a hot commodity right now. We're just coming off of uh, a huge spike in electronics and computer component thefts, uh, <laughs> which is very convolutedly related to the cryptocurrency market, but those actually just sort of cooled down a little bit. They're always a hot commodity, <laughs> but they were being targeted just above and beyond what we'd ever seen before because of how hot the crypto market was until about, what was it like three, four months ago, there was a huge crash yeah. in the crypto market. No, I, and, I, I built my computer eight years ago and I've, I haven't <laughs> been able to put a new graphics card in it since then. Cause first there was yeah. pre COVID there was a, there was a flood and then crypto got really hot. And then I think yep. there was another, and, uh, and then I think there was another flood and then we had COVID and it just, they've never come down until now. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, if if you're aware, I don't know if you've ever seen a cryptocurrency mining machine. Oh yeah, uh, it, it's a miniature yeah, motherboard with like eight GPUs on it, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. So that's where all the GPUs were going. Is you know all these guys, all these guys who were mining cryptocurrency uh, because of the next you know bleeding edge generation of computing power that's available in those GPUs, you know, made the threshold of power consumption to Bitcoin generation, you know, that calculation became worth it for them. Uh, to the point where they affected global markets. Uh, so it's it's interesting to see what exactly affects cargo theft, what, what affects the supply chain, uh, what affects market shortages. The last two years, two and a half, three years have been very, very interesting from my point of view. I kind of follow it pretty good. I, I may have mined like a, a couple of days until <laughs> I got the power bill, but yeah, they just had the big uh, merge in Ethereum. So a lot of GPUs are now going to get flooded back to the market. Because the whole way Ethereum gets mined now, it's you really can't do it like you used to. You got since it went from proof of work to proof of stake. It's you know mm -hmm. it's kind of kind of crazy, but you know uh, 
now you have to front the money up front, buy the blocks yourself, then mine them out. And, you know, it's kind of like a, a ter- little tear stickers you buy at the lottery machine. You may or may not get your money back now. Yeah. Yep. It's realistic. So a lot of them are <clears throat> are trying to liquidate, you know, all these dozens of GPUs that they have before it's no longer the latest generation of what it is. And then it, you know, loses a lot of value. So that's why we're seeing a lot of them hit the market now. And it's still not low enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, well, and it's it, crazy to me still that it's, it's been two, over two years now since the PlayStation five came out and you still cannot walk into a store and buy one. Yeah. You can only yeah, get them online crazy. or through the secondary market, or there's a, um, I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but there's a Twitter account that like tracks these sales and you can probably snag one if like you set like a couple of days or a week, you know, ahead of time to figure out when the best time to buy one. But I just, I'm too busy doing this stuff. <laughs> Going into the general freight security, uh, a lot of times you, you'll get like a briefing or two when you go through a co- company orientation you know, they'll assign you a padlock and a kingpin lock to go on your trailer, which, you know, they'll charge you $100 for. Uh, Danny, what's uh, what's some good uh, general freight safety practices you can, you can uh, for drivers to uh, go over? Well, the biggest mantra in our industry of, of, of freight security, supply chain security, is cargo at rest is cargo at risk. Right. And that, that's specific to the U.S., I should say, because there's other parts of the world um, where theft in motion and hijacking while you're going down the road are preferred MOs in certain regions. But in the U.S., in Western Europe, uh, cargo at rest is cargo at risk. If you're not stopped, it, they're, they're likely not going to steal anything from you. Um, so team drivers hugely beneficial as long as those team drivers are adhering to best practices. Right. Uh, if you stop. One driver stays with the load at all times. Uh, no overnight staging if you have team drivers. Um, if you are going to stop overnight, make sure it's in a well-lit, well-populated area. If at all possible, back the trailer doors up to something solid to prevent access to those trailer doors. Don't talk about what you're carrying in your in your trailer with anybody. Um, those are some of the big ones, right? Um, but like I said, uh, cargo thieves are always going to be going for that opportunity, whatever the low-hanging fruit is. Try not to be the low-hanging fruit. Uh, harden your security to the point where somebody else is a softer target than you. Yeah, that uh, point you made about freight in motion, or freight at rest is freight at risk. I held munitions for four years, and that was the exact same thinking that they had too. Uh, mm-hmm. They're all team drivers, everyone at the company. Um, any base that we went to, they were also you know team drivers as well. I don't, I don't think you even can haul munitions as a as a single driver unless it's for like a specific. Uh, purpose but yeah we we basically never stopped unless um it was rather weather related and if you want to try and steal something out of the truck in the middle of an ice storm you know good luck <laughs> <laughs> but yeah other than that i mean obviously there's there's companies like ours that do uh third-party compliance monitoring right and and i know you know truck drivers are probably the most surveilled profession in america today mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but at the same time compliance drives security you know and uh when when shippers want to know that their freight's being taken care of, they'll hire companies like us. And that's one of the services that we provide is, is third-party compliance monitoring. Um, having additional, you know, when I say additional, I mean beyond fleet management devices um, to track your trailer, to track not just the trailer, but the cargo. So that if that cargo gets moved out of that trailer into another trailer, you can still track it. Um, 
these are all layers of security that, that you need to have in order to make sure that your supply chain is secure. One thing I've noticed mega carriers do, and I really wish they would stop doing this, and I hope they have, um, when you have high value loads like this that pay the company more, you'll often see them give those loads to brand new inexperienced drivers because they're the ones that are on the lower end of the pay scale. I've had that happen to myself. I, um, you know, first three months, my first driving job, I had a, a load of flat screen TVs going to a Walmart distribution center. I didn't know I had them on me, but when I got to the place, that's what they told me I had. And I said, well, shit, I wish I'd known that in the beginning. Uh, when my <laughs> parents uh, were driving team together, the, the first load that they had uh, in the truck by themselves, it was uh, cigarettes going to a distribution center. You know, that's a big high value load. Um, another friend of mine, the first load he got with uh, the company he started with, it was, uh, it was either PlayStation 3s or PlayStation 4s, whatever console was out at the time, but in t- an entire tractor trailer load full of, you know, video game consoles. And he, he'd only been driving for a month. You know, loads like that should not be given to new drivers whatsoever. Yeah, I agree. And that that's really interesting that you bring that up because we always talk from our uh, industry viewpoint, we're always talking about at the carrier level, right? Um, make sure you're not giving your high value loads to an unvetted carrier. But then what happens to that within that carrier? You know, what mm-hmm. driver is that carrier going to assign it to? That's that's an excellent point. Uh, but yeah, we always, you know, make the point that make sure you've got trusted carriers uh, and that, yeah, that's a whole new angle that I've never even thought of is making sure they're utilizing the proper drivers. Oh, carriers pull stuff like that all the time. Like if you're a new driver and you get sent to a dry spot, uh, Laredo, Texas is a really good one. So you'll get a lo- you'll get a load. <laughs> I'm actually from Laredo, Texas. <laughs> so <laughs> so you, you can you can you can probably see this happen in your backyard. You get down there by like Thursday or Friday. You drop your load, and they'll tell you, "Hey, there is a load for you to pick up. Um, do not talk to any other drivers. Don't even look at the. Don't even like make eye contact because what's happening is there's probably four or five other guys in your company that have been sitting there since Wednesday." And they're mm-hmm. gonna they're gonna give you the first load out of there because they they're paying you less, you know, and they're just yeah. they're gonna make those guys sit there over the weekend because nothing nothing moves in Laredo across the border on the weekends. Oh yes, I am aware. Uh, I don't live there now, for the record, but I am from there <laughs> down I thirty five down to mile marker zero. Uh, that's where it is. But yeah, no, it's mm-hmm. it's true, and carriers are always trying to eke out as much profit. And I, that, that may sound a little bit accusatory. Every business that operates for profit is looking to eke out as much profit sure. as possible, right? Yeah. Um, so whatever margins they can squeeze out, they're always going to try. But that's kind of what you know, vigilance and security is often seen as, as the enemy of profit. And that doesn't have to be the case. But you know, losses are going to impact your profit too. Thefts and, and losses and brand damage and brand dilution uh, are all going to uh, affect your profits as well. So that's always something to keep in mind. But another great example of how carriers will do that is how double loading, or I should call it like a surreptitious double loading without the without the uh, freight owner's knowledge has become damn near standard practice. Uh, if you're leaving out of California, especially uh, what we're seeing a lot of is the uh, the hasp on the trailer door where you attach your seal, your bolt seal, your padlock, your low security plastic seal, whatever it may be. Uh, instead of being riveted to the trailer doors, it's connected with a nut and a bolt, uh, which means that you can undo that nut <laughs> off the bolt, <laughs> take off the seal hasp without breaking the seal. You can com- get full access, open both trailer doors, get a damn forklift in there, and then reattach the original seal as though it was never opened, right? So we're seeing that being 
standard practice. Uh, if you're not shipping a full trailer load, even if it's contractually obligated and agreed to that it's going to be a dedicated trailer for your product, if you don't know, if you don't have a way to know what they're doing inside that trailer and what they're doing to your specific cargo that's inside that specific trailer, they're very likely double loading it. They're putting it in with another load or they're putting other loads in with that one, moving it across the country. And a lot of times nothing's going to happen. Really their intent is just to double their profit and charge twice for one trip across the country. Uh, but what it does do, especially if you have sensitive cargo, uh, is it introduces all sorts of security risks, especially if there's any sort of um, temperature requirements or humidity requirements for your cargo. We're talking like pharmaceuticals and food. Um, those things can be like pharmaceuticals, if they're not transported properly, best case scenario is they're ineffective. Worst case yeah. scenario is that they are now deadly. Yeah. Um, and, and it is scary easy to reintroduce uh gray market pharmaceuticals into the into the legitimate supply chain it is scary easy well most most bases they won't even load you if you don't have your trailer doors welded onto the trailer you know it's one of the first things they look for they they inspect everything you know if you have mm-hmm. if you even have like a running light out um i don't know if i should name the place it's crane indiana it's a naval base out there but the inspector they had out there his name is dennis hi dennis uh <laughs> he was <laughs> he was one of the most if, if you wanted like Open up a dictionary and look up like uh, you know bureaucrat. His his face is like right there. Uh, <laughs> he was a pain in the ass, but man, he was good at his job. He walks out of the office with his with his tire thumper, and I mean he had like a whole song and dance. So he'd go around dump dump dump, hit all your tires, look at your lights, check your signals, and I mean he did like an entire inspection that would take some places half an hour within like two minutes, and he he'd plunk you immediately. There was no like oh you know I'll get it fixed down the road. Nope. If you're missing a weld, if you had a running light out, anything, he'd, he'd reject you right there. Didn't care if you uh, had to get that load, you know, four thousand miles away. He just, he did not mess around. And I'm surprised that more places don't do that. If, if you're hauling high value load, not just munitions, but high value load, that's the first thing they should be looking at: is are the trailer doors, you know, welded on there? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things that they should look at, and they look at almost none of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, I've seen cases where um, they're like, hey, you know this shipment was picked up and it never made it to destination. And now the carrier's not answering. (laughs) And I look at the photos that were taken from the origin. uh, And, you know, one of the things that we require of of some of our clients is, is that they have photos taken of the driver, the driver's license, the, the, the BOL uh, along with a myriad of other pictures. Um, And I start going through the shipment and I start looking at the pictures. It's like, Hey, did anybody notice that the guy in the driver's license is not at all the guy who's driving the tractor. <laughs> like not even close. Not, not like, like he lost oh. a couple pounds or anything or grew yeah. a beard. No, 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 no. <laughs> like unless he, unless he grew uh, seven inches and gained 120 pounds and changed his race, uh, not him. Um, and, and same, same shipment. Uh, the tractor had a magnetic placard on the side and the DOT number on that placard did not match the name that was on the placard, yeah. uh, which they could have found out if they took 15 uh, seconds to Google the DOT number. Uh, the trailer did not have any license plates on it at all, uh, not paper plates or anything. And this, and this was at a distribution center that had been having these problems for a little while. Uh, and, and we were just like, you guys, diligence, due diligence, making sure that everything matches, everything's lining up. Don't just check the boxes and take the pictures and send them out. Uh, you know, make sure you're looking for the, for what's supposed to match up. What's not supposed to match up different distribution center. You know, we had 
they were handing the drivers the seal with the BOL. Oh. They're like, here, go ahead and take off. Uh, and they wouldn't even seal the trailer before they left the origin. And, you know, this is high value cargo. It, 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 it's flabbergasting. <laughs> I've had plenty of those. Yeah. It, all that is, is them trying to save on payroll because they don't want to spend the money to have somebody go out there and put the seal on themselves. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to get the trucks in and out as fast as they can. Yep. Or they've got, you know, X amount of trucks to get out before five o'clock when they've got to go pick up the kids. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, everything's got their, own, everybody's got their own schedule and everybody's trying to squeeze schedules and squeeze margin and pennies of profit. Um, and security really means you got to take an extra step. You know, you got to take an extra beat. Think about it for just a second. It doesn't have to be debilitatingly slow or expensive, uh, but it does require at least a little bit of common sense and, and, and just being present in the moment when you're, when you're going through these processes well, as, as someone who's checking out a trailer or a tractor, you know? Exactly. Have a, have a guard at the guard check as you're leaving. And all they got to do is walk to the back of the trailer, make sure it's on there and you're good to go. But yep. so as we saw, what was those, what were those sneakers, Rooster? Uh, Nikes or Air Jordans that got stolen Yeah, Nike recently? Jordan. Yeah, let, 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 let's mm-hmm. talk about Nike distribution in Memphis because they deserve, I'm Absolutely. not going to say, you know, but bad, bad thing, though people don't deserve bad things to happen to them, but they were asking for this. I don't you know. I, it's, yeah, they, I, they, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, you, I don't know if you've seen the, the video, Danny, but mm-hmm. the, the trailers, well, let's first off, let's talk about the fence. The fence was just a plain Jane. I don't even think it was a eight foot chain link fence. It may have been a four foot way it looked. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and even if it was, it there, was it was leaned over like forty five degrees. Well, it, the trailer's been backed into it, and knocked over. I mean, yeah. that's you see that happen at distribution centers all the time. They didn't even have cameras looking at the back of the trailers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, millions first of all, and millions of dollars of freight, yeah, for, and you're not watching it. That was not their yard. That was a third party overflow yard from what I'm, from what I'm understanding. Um, and the reason that's happening is because they are caught in a perfect storm. Oh uh, yeah. In, in terms of like the, the rail is backed up. There's no empty containers for them to swap out the full containers with. So they can't unload as quickly at their actual distribution center as they would like to, as operations maybe allow them to. So they then have to store multiple containers offsite in a third party quote unquote secure yard, which there is no definition for a secure yard in the US. Um <laughs> great. It's a great and, business you know, opportunity, huh? Yeah. Exactly. But you know, and I I, I talked to uh, Detective Mike Gibbs or Sergeant Mike Gibbs, excuse me, Sergeant Mike Gibbs of the Memphis Police Department, and, and he will tell you if you speak to him that Nikes are as good as cash on the streets of Memphis. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So that is one of the biggest targets for street level thieves there. Uh, it is one of the areas where we've seen rail theft uh, for a lot longer than it's been publicized in the mainstream news. Um, and one of the dangers with that, you know, for for our law enforcement partners who we often contact and inform about these things or, or who help us recover some of these thefts when they're happening in progress Um it becomes a much different calculation for them because organized cargo thieves, the, the folks I was talking about earlier who travel all the way across the country just to stake out a warehouse, uh, they are highly risk averse uh, and they will not employ violence or even the threat of violence because they know that if they get caught, their sentence is going to go up exponentially. Um, now, local street level criminals, these guys are engaged in violent crime on a daily basis. They carry handguns and possibly long guns on a daily basis. Uh, and they are involved involved in much more severe crimes than, you know, hopping on, onto a rail and popping open a container and 
carrying off a dozen boxes of shoes. Not to say that that's not severe, but you know, when when police who are used to responding to cargo thefts who flee at the drop of a hat, and then they show up at something like you know, twelve or sixteen gang members uh, in a rail yard at two o'clock in the morning in in, in you know southeastern Memphis, um, those guys aren't going to run necessarily. They might shoot and then run. They might just shoot. I mean, there's no telling what's going to happen with those guys. So it's really changing the game for law enforcement, too, uh, as we see some of these new things, uh, these new methods of cargo theft kind of gain in popularity across the country. Yeah, that's interesting. That's something I would see. So I was with the Postal Service for the last five years, uh, driving tractor trailer. And yeah, well, you don't typically see organized uh, gangs hitting uh, postal workers. It's usually... Um, some violent repeat offender on the street, you know, getting into a fight with a, a postal worker um, mm-hmm. or an Amazon delivery driver or whatever it may be. Yeah. Well, Amazon sees the Amazon surprises me that they're not hit more because at least with postal workers, that's, that's now a federal crime. And like you said, mm-hmm. they're, they're very risk averse. So even though there's not so much, you know, security, like, like, you know, postal workers aren't walking around armed or anything. So there's not much security around them, but it's the threat of messing with them and getting caught that kind of keeps the, uh, the more organized guys away versus like, you know, if, if I'm parked at a, we call them stations. If I'm parked at a station somewhere and some guy's mad that I'm blocking his way, you know, I don't want to get in a fight with the guy, but it's, you know, you're, you're more at risk of getting into a fight with somebody versus somebody actually trying to steal mail out the back of your truck. Right. That makes sense. But we all, we all just as many, uh, PlayStation fives is uh, the rest of the guys. <laughs> yeah. Part of the problem with that though, is it is, you know, kind of the potluck thing, right? Uh, a thief who's out for profit, who's, you know, desperate for a couple hundred bucks or whatever it is uh, that might go after an Amazon truck. He doesn't know what he's going to get. Exactly. You know, he could get, uh, he could get oven mitts and what's, what's he going to do with oven mitts, you know? Um, so that's why when we see what we call the last mile courier deliveries uh, being robbed, uh, the ones who are not doing like, you know, massive 50, two foot trailers to a grocery store or something. We're talking about more like box trucks, taking cigarettes to convenience stores, uh, cargo vans that do uh, multiple stops at multiple pharmacies to drop off pharmaceuticals. Both of those are big targets because criminals know what's in those containers, what's in those vehicles. You know, if it's a, if it's a a cigarette truck, they're going to get a whole bunch of cigarettes. If it's pharmaceuticals, chances are they're going to get some, you know, schedule three narcotics or, or some oxycodone or something fun like that for them. So when, Um, so so when law enforcement, you know, finds one of these theft rings or breaks them up and they, you know, catch the guys, do they know if they're, are they like people that were on the inside or former workers or current workers? Uh, you know, that, that tends to be, uh, I've got another buddy, Scott Cornell of Travelers Insurance, hugely knowledgeable about all the different methods of, of cargo theft, especially the ones that use technology. Um, but when we talk about insider theft, you know, he, he likes to say that the driver did it is kind of the, the, the butler did it, or the driver was in on it is kind of the butler did it of the cargo theft world, right? Everyone wants to jump to blame the driver. Maybe he told somebody what was there or he allowed it to be taken or whatever it was, but that's actually very infrequently the case. Uh, I'm sure you guys are aware, uh, you're a career driver. Uh, if you've had multiple thefts, it's going to make it hard to get hired again. Right. Mm-hmm. And if that's yeah. your job, uh, you know, nobody's going to pay a truck driver, uh, enough to retire to just leave a tractor trailer unattended, you know, a couple times. That's, that's not what's happening. Um, inside information from things like warehouses and distribution centers. Absolutely. Uh, it, but that's, that's very hard to track and confirm in a lot of cases, but we do know that that is the kind of thing that happens. 
If you haven't gone to otrsolutions.com slash BTU yet, here's your reminder. Not sure how to say it, but factoring these guys just makes sense. They're focused on driving your success and helping you grow your company. They've gone as far as offering custom business email address setups so you can negotiate better rates with brokers. There's just so much opportunity out there, and OTR is your ticket to success. So head on over to otrsolutions.com slash BTU and check out their solutions. I have to imagine like that's got to be the case because it's, I mean, I'm no criminal mastermind by any means, but I just, where I've been and what I've seen and what I know now, um, mm-hmm. I'm just like, there's so many places that are so unsecured. Like they're yeah. just, they're just like Bruce was saying with these Nike shoes, they're just asking for it. And I'm honest, yeah. I'm honestly shocked. It doesn't happen more often. Well, that those meat thefts in Nebraska, right? Like I said, Nebraska, not a cargo theft hotspot, not an area of, particularly high cargo density either. Um, so to see a rash of similar thefts in the same area like that uh, really, to me, screams that somebody who had knowledge of what was going on and the operations had a friend or a friend of a friend or a friend of a friend of a friend uh, who said, hey, we can maybe profit off of this. And maybe he called some people from down in South Florida uh, and said, hey, there's an opportunity here. And usually when that kind of thing happens, you'll see a rash of thefts like that over the course of a week or two. Um, or maybe it'll be a couple of rashes you know, separated by a month or two, kind of like we saw in Nebraska, mm-hmm. uh, until they harden their security. Uh, or maybe you know, when it happened back in, in, in June, they had a rash back then, I think two or three. Uh, yeah. And then they didn't harden their security, so they come back in September. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Rooster, Rooster <laughs> covered a lot of those stories. Yeah, it's kind of, and it's it, you kind of know it's a crew because it's it's following that U.S. highway that connects uh, mm-hmm. Iowa across across Nebraska. You know, it goes up through Omaha. Then, it, you know, we just had that theft over at Grand Island, but it, it's you know two or three trailer loads, and you know it's just mind boggling. You pull these places up on on Google, you know, Google Street, Google Earth, and sometimes they're just lots. I mean, they're mm-hmm. not even a fence. Yeah, that's what surprises me. Like, it, it, I can't imagine it's all that ex- expensive or difficult to just put up, you know, a, a cinder block wall and uh, park the trucks against that, and then have a kingpin lock. That right there is going to do you a lot more security than, you know, in, like a chain link fence. Yeah, no, I'll tell you, kingpin locks are great, um, and they 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 will do wonders in preventing your trailer from getting stolen. Uh, the thing they don't prevent is is the trailer doors from being opened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll tell you, we've seen what we're calling large scale pilferages because they're not taking the tractor or the trailer, but they are just opening the trailer and taking cargo uh, that have wiped out the entire contents of a 52, 52 foot trailer in under 10 minutes. Um, so obviously there's multiple people, you know, working on that. Uh, it happens very quickly. We've seen them empty. I've seen multiple times people empty 80% of a 50, 52 foot trailer. We're talking 20 pallets in like six minutes. Oh yeah. I used, I used to work at Schneider and the operating center in Dallas, Texas, there was a, um, a cereal warehouse not far from there. And so a lot of the trailers parked in the yard were just full of cereal and uh, people in the, living in the neighborhood over the fence, they would hop the fence all the time, pop open the plastic seal and just pill for as much cereal as they wanted. <laughs> Cinnamon toast crunch for life. Huh? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The, uh, what's, what's actually interesting about those kingpin locks too We've had uh, full trailers stolen that we recovered, and when we found them, the criminals had attached a kingpin lock. Oh. 
So that made our <laughs> life interesting in, in order of like, how do we actually recover that and get it back to our client? Because, yeah, <laughs> luckily, you know, if you've got, if, yeah, if you've got law enforcement supervision, it's okay to take a half an hour to drill out a kingpin lock. <laughs> Still from thee, but not from me, huh? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, talking about, you know, other, other failures of uh, procedure, Crime of the Century, the uh, Brinks truck theft over in California, uh, kind of shocked me when that went down and, you know, immediately it went out. You know, it's got to be an inside job for this to happen. Uh, why did they you know, park at a rest area and then f- sit there for a few minutes and go five miles up the road to the truck stop? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, wh- how, can, how can you explain that to your customers, uh, Danny, of, uh, when something like this happens, especially a company with a name brand like Brinks, you know, we always think of them as the, the, the security experts of the world. Right. Well, uh, you know, they do a re- Brinks does a really good job in really tightening the ship in terms of best practices, right. Um, making sure to remove the opportunity. If the drivers are following the procedures that they're supposed to follow, there is almost no opportunity uh, for a theft. In, in the day-to-day operation of a Brinks truck, right? It takes a breakdown of procedure or, you know, a breakdown of a, a willful em- breakdown of an employee for, for that to kind of fall apart. So it, we always point to the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, within the supply chain security world, uh, they were the first vertical to really get their ducks in a row. Um, I mean, you talked about the security that's involved with transporting ammunition. It's, it's pretty close to that with pharmaceuticals too. Yeah. Uh, and, and not just because they're dangerous in and of themselves, but because they, there's a lot more potential for loss. Not only is the product a lot smaller and a lot more cost dense, i.e. you can fit, you know, eight to 10 to $12 million worth of pharmaceuticals on a, on a reefer trailer. Um, there's, there's FDA regulations, right? If they, if they lose a load, a 52 foot trailer of, of, of medication X. Um, if they recover it, they have to destroy it, but they're happy to do so because if they don't recover it, they have to destroy all of the, the rest of that batch, anything with that lot number or that batch number on it. And that can be another six to eight trailers that are, you know, six to $12 million a piece. So if they recover that stolen that stolen trailer of pharmaceuticals, that's the only one that gets destroyed. The other ones can continue on to destination because they can then confirm proper chain of custody throughout the entire supply chain for that lot or batch number. Yeah, chain, um, of, cu- chain, of, chain of custody is super important to that. Plus, they're more than happy to take the loss of the product versus you know the, the onslaught of lawsuits if, God forbid, they put that product back into the retail supply chain and people got hurt or sick. Exactly. Yeah, I actually attested that happening up before I got in the truck and I was a certified pharmacy technician at the hospital in Valdosta, Georgia. And we actually had that happen. The drug rep called in and said, Hey, we need you to pull this batch number out and uh, uh, cut the bags and drain it out. And I'll be by later to pick up the empty bags. And we're like, well, what in the world's going on? And literally he had the, the drug rep had to come in and explain, say, Hey, it got that, some of this got stolen and as a matter of security, we need you to destroy these drugs and, you know, document that they, they were destroyed. And, you know, it's like, this is the first time we've had this happen to us, but, you know, you know, hospital research, you know, and it does happen every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there's a uh, Chuck Forsyth. He's the head of the pharmaceutical cargo security coalition, the PCSC. 
Uh, and he talks about how it, it has happened before where their um, improperly stored, stolen and then improperly stored insulin has made it back into the legitimate supply chain. And, mm. and you know, that was then ineffective insulin, which is kind of a big deal. Uh, if somebody needs insulin and they're taking their insulin injection and it's just ineffective, that's really bad news. Um, so that that's why they've got those kinds of rules. Obviously, it's 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 for, you know, consumer health and safety. Um, but it is it's scary. And it's, it's one of the reasons it's one of the reasons we do what we do. It's one of the reasons that what we do feels very important to me. What? OK, so you help with uh, customers, you know, helping keep their freight secure. What would you say was a client that you saw like the greatest improvement from, you know, when they came to you and they said, hey, we got a problem. And then you guys help them out. Ooh, that's a tough one because, you know, I don't actually deal with the client relationship side all that often. Gotcha. Um, I, I specifically do supply chain intelligence. Um, so cataloging thefts and any trends that are going to affect the, the, the flow of cargo across the world. Uh, and I'm also on the uh, the incident response team over at Overhaul, which uh, if you've watched any of the new Spider-Man movies, it, I am basically the guy in the chair. Uh, <laughs> so we have a theft or a suspected theft. I'm on. I'm, I'm you know, getting our live tracking link ready. Uh, I'm gathering the pictures that were taken at origin. Uh, I'm looking at the context of the shipment. Uh, and I'm getting all I'm getting all this information uh, into the hands of the people who need it, you know, uh, whether that's private security on the ground, law enforcement on the ground. Uh, we can deploy via a, a link uh, or a text message or an email. Uh, we can get it to anybody at a moment's notice and they can get they can have the same kind of live tracking capabilities that we have. Um, and of course, I keep them, you know, up to date, minute to minute on what's going on and just uh, try and make that as smooth of a process as possible. Uh, but I do know that we've seen, uh, you know, a lot of customers, like I said, the pharmaceutical industry in particular was one of the quickest to really embrace cargo security uh, and all the extra hoops that you have to jump through uh, in order to make it happen. And, and they were happy to do so. Um, electronics as an industry uh, seems to be wanting to do the same thing. But, you know, every year around this time when sh when holiday shipping really ramps up, uh, security kind of tends to go out the window a little bit. Because uh, they're more interested in getting more product yeah. on the shelf Volume than they are security. about. Yeah, very much so. And it, it, it's a battle that it's always fought, you know, profit versus security. Because, like I said, security doesn't have to be hugely costly. Um, but it is going to slow you down a little bit. It's, it's not, it, it is almost the enemy of, of like squeezing every last efficiency out of something. Because squeezing every last efficiency, you're definitely going to be cutting some security corners. Um, can you talk about like, what's the most sophisticated, you know, theft ring you've come across? Well, yeah, I mean, a lot out of Southern California, we've got a lot of thieves that deal with technology. Um, whether that's, uh, fraudulent pickups where they are just fabricating a carrier identity to go on a load board to, to bid for loads, oh, wow. or if they're stealing legitimate carrier identities, um, we've seen, uh, we've seen them buy, old MOT numbers from, from retired drivers so that when they reactivate those, it looks like they've been in business for 20 years. Uh, we've seen all sorts of interesting things like that. Um, the, the use of technology and identity theft, whether that's identity theft of a driver or a carrier, is, is one of the uh, the most sophisticated ones that, that I've seen recently. Um, it reminds me of uh, those poor yeah. people over the summer in Texas that were in that uh, you know reefer trailer that overheated. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, first thing I saw when I was looking at the photos of that was like, well, that's a reefer trailer. So there's absolutely zero excuse as to why that shouldn't have been turned on to help them. But then we come to yeah. find out that it was a, it was a fake box. It was a fake reefer unit. Um, they 
cloned a legitimate company's uh, DOT numbers and MC numbers. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 so I, I understood that like smuggling rings were doing that, but I didn't, I didn't know that thief rings were doing that as well. Yeah. I mean, it's not just uh, beef, but I mean, electronics and pharmaceuticals, high end clothing out of California is a big one too. And, uh, and one of the ways that they, that they'll do this, that really frustrates our investigation efforts is double and triple brokering schemes. Oh. Um, <laughs> Again, oh. uh, you know, Scott Cornell uh, clued me into this one uh, several years ago, uh, I think a decade ago at this point. And it's, you know, they will be a legitimate trucking company or they will act as a legitimate trucking company. Uh, and they will, you know, maybe even gain the trust of, of the, the freight forwarder or whoever or the shipper uh, by carrying several loads legitimately to destination without any problems. Uh, and then they'll start double brokering uh, to another company and maybe... Sometimes that company is legitimate too, but they'll tell that company, hey, go and pick it up at Origin. They'll go and pick it up. The bill of lading says you're taking it to you know, New Jersey, Florida, whatever it may be. Uh, and as soon as they leave, they'll, they'll get a call from who hired them, from who double brokered them and say, hey, change of plans. You know, we're gonna, you're, you're not going to go all the way to New Jersey. You're going to go 50 miles and drop it off in this yard. You know, but don't worry. We're going to pay you for the whole trip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, like, that's a really like, good. Cool. Yeah, because then yeah, the, the, right. dri- the driver is completely unaware. That's uh, that's very clever. Exactly. You know, uh, or they'll vice versa. They'll be that second company that gets double brokered by the legitimate carrier sometimes as well. Um, and in either case, I mean, it makes it very difficult to investigate. Usually, if you're on top of it and and you're investigating very quickly, uh, i.e., before it hasn't arrived at destination, because that's usually when these kinds of thefts are discovered. Is when it doesn't arrive at destination, uh, and sometimes. You know, uh, shippers will get strung along even longer than that. With, oh, you know, I'm really sorry. I had a mechanical issue. Um, you know, can can you forward me uh, some of my some of my pay mm-hmm. so that I can get this repaired, and then I'll, I'll be on the road and I'll have it there tomorrow. And sometimes they'll even get an extra uh, an extra payment out of it. You know, uh, it's pretty crazy. We learned all about double brokering from a previous guest, Paul Bernard Jaroslawski, and um, he basically just talked about the double brokering aspect. I didn't even think about the um, the actual theft rings involved with it too. Cause with mm-hmm. him, it was just, you know, these are guys that are um, booking a load that's already booked and then just, t- they're, they're just skimming off the top. Really. It's, it's right. There's no freight passing hands or anything like that. So it's, it's just pure on paper theft. Whereas you're talking like, you know, a much more sophisticated operation. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a very interesting way to make cargo disappear. It's very frustrating too. So what, are, what can companies do to like mitigate these risks? Again, it comes down to to being vigilant, you know, uh, do thorough vetting uh, of your carriers, make sure you've got relationships with your carriers, uh, make sure it's, you know, make sure they're not double and triple brokering without your knowledge. Uh, if you can avoid double and triple brokering at all, I mean, that's preferable, but we all know that's not the way the business works. Um, but, you know, have, have these agreements in place. Uh, and if you can at all, I mean, transfer liability, tell them like, hey, we're expecting this level of care. And if this level of care is not taken and there's consequences, well, then, you know, that it was, it was in your custody at that point. The responsibility lies with you. Um, but honestly, I mean, it's really about just having as much control over your supply chain as possible. And if you don't have that control, get visibility into your supply chain uh, so you know what's happening to your shipment at any given time. Uh, we've uncovered a lot of, I can't call them... <laughs> definite double brokering scams because we stopped them in progress. Uh, but we've, we've uncovered a lot of red flags in progress where it was going to be transferred to a, to a different carrier who had not been vetted. 
uh, and maybe had some red flags in our system. Um, then we at, we stopped the driver from transferring the load to the to the double brokered carrier uh, and had them return to origin. And you know everything was intact, and that all, all those shipments eventually made it to their destination uh, complete. So we always count that as a win. Um, we don't we don't like recovering theft only because we don't like recovering cargo because if we're recovering cargo, that means it was stolen. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to not have it stolen in the first place. That's a good way to operate. What are some of uh, some of the big trends you you're seeing that uh, are coming out? You know, we have a uh, hurricane Ian. You know, thoughts and prayers out to all the people in South Florida. <laughs> but after a big disaster like this, uh, what kind of freight do you see usually trend being uh, targeted, being stolen after yeah. a natural disaster? After a natural disaster, we definitely see spikes in like building materials, building supplies, uh, particularly lumber and shingles. Um, we also know that you know cargo thieves are very opportunistic, especially the organized ones uh, who do this as a living. Um, they know that if natural disaster, if a hurricane strikes an area, they know that the supply chain is going to be clogged. They know that law enforcement is going to be stretched thin, and they're going to take advantage of that. So any areas that are affected by the storm uh, are likely to see an increase in cargo theft, or at least cargo theft risk, over the next three to four weeks. Uh, it's going to happen immediately. It's already happening now, I can guarantee it. Um, there's going to be relief shipments on the way in. Um, the governor of Florida has relaxed a lot of the trucking regulations right now. And when you relax those re- regulations, you're increasing your security risk. Um, I mean, those those regulations are there for a reason. I'm not saying he shouldn't have relaxed those. Absolutely, we need to get aid in there as quick as possible. But we also need to understand the security context that that puts the rest of the supply chain in Florida into. Um, and knowing that we're not going to have the same level of law enforcement assistance and response for a property crime that we would normally have if there hadn't just been a massive disaster in that area, we've got to understand that as well. Yeah, I'm already seeing on social media drivers you know, complaining to other drivers. There's like this meme that always goes around of like, say no to cheap freight. Um, you see the same thing whenever there's disaster relief. They're, they're saying, you know, don't don't ever accept a load with detention that's like less than 1700. You know, they, they, they want mm-hmm. to keep the rates as high as possible. And then people complain that, well, now you're just kind of ripping off people in the, in the middle of a disaster area. But it's also, hey, you know, it's the driver that's going down there and, and risking themselves and their equipment to get the freight down there because you might get down there and there's no, power anywhere there's no fuel anywhere you know you get to pack your own food with you mm-hmm. you know parking is going to be slim especially yeah. parking of the secure variety absolutely yeah oh one thing you see you know talking about you know don't don't you know uh, you know double up the detention pay and all that you know it's you're taking freight down there there's not gonna be any freight coming back up so absolutely you, you mean uh uh alex my he's in my show he put a video out the other day that uh one load 80 miles from uh, a, a water bottling plant to the Walmart distribution center was like $15 a mile. And so, you know, the, the rates are getting out, uh, outrageous, you know, and these are going to target these loads because they know right now, temporarily, even a trailer load of bottled water can bring big bucks down in, you know, in, in the, the area around Tampa and Port, uh, Fort Myers, Port Charlotte. You know, uh, back when I was working with a uh, Lowe's Home Improvement, you know, doing delivery, when uh, I try to remember that last big hur- that big hurricane went through in about I think it was like '07 or '08. Uh, there were people coming in our store, you know, in, in, in Tifton, Georgia, 
buying out the, the gas generators, uh, buying all the extension cores, buying out the tarps. And we knew that these were peddlers coming up, buying all this stuff, take it down there and you know, charging three, four, five times the amount. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it's price gouging is legal, but you also have the thieves that come in, you know, and try to steal and take it down there and do charge outrageous prices for stuff. Well, you would see that in the beginning of COVID too, where, you know, every Home Depot or home supply store would get ransacked with all the masks and PPE. And then people were, you know, yeah. taking them back home with them and selling them overseas. You know, they, they, the people that were more in tune with the supply chain and knew that the shortages were coming were the first ones to react and, and, yeah. and, oh, yeah. and pounce while they, uh, and you know, uh, those, those folks, the, the price scalpers are, are essentially <laughs> proto cargo thieves, right? They're doing the same thing. Um, cause like I said, you know, the, the, the cargo thieves are going after this because they can skip the middleman of the fence, uh, who's got his own you know distribution network set up. They can sell directly to the end user of whatever product they steal. And, and in that case, they're going to, you know, up their profit massively. Have we seen COVID like change how the thieving rings are operating? Like, are they going after other freight? Like, so like meat right now, you know, oh, yeah. we wouldn't have seen meat typically, you know, maybe back in the day, but now with prices on certain items going through the roof, uh, I, I imagine baby formula theft has mm-hmm. got to be a, a real Baby problem. formula, uh, I, I'm sure was stolen and or pilfered. We didn't get a lot of reports of that. And I imagine that's because uh, th- those folks knew what was going on and they knew how critical that cargo was. So I, I have a feeling that was very well guarded from the get-go once the shortage was announced. Um, but yeah, definitely. I mean, price gouging is terrible. And anytime, anytime that kind of stuff happens, uh, we know that the cargo thieves are going to react to that. Uh, with with COVID, uh, at the beginning of 2020, we definitely saw a massive spike in the thefts of PPE, uh, a massive spike in the thefts of cleaning supplies, uh, and of course, electronics, The specifically the type of electronics used to set up home offices, uh, oh, so yeah. printers, extra monitors, uh, things like that. Um, now, that's definitely shifted, but, but what's notable is how quickly they adapted to, to those market trends and those social trends. They are very agile. They don't, they don't have uh, a whole lot of overhead, so to speak, in, in terms of, of, of what they have to change in order to pivot their strategy. They just decide what they're going to go after. Uh, and then they'll tap their network and see if they have any resources that'll help them with that. Uh, a lot of times they do. They've got a pretty extensive network and it reaches across the country. So they're looking for a particular product. Um, Chances are they know somebody, uh, at least through the third degree, uh, who's got some sort of information about it. Yeah, that's funny because, like, if you're a large or if you're a large uh, corporation, you it's like steering a giant cargo ship. You know, you can't turn on a dime. Whereas thieving rings, you know, they're typically decentralized and much smaller. So if you know market demands change, they can pivot a lot faster than these companies can react. Absolutely. They can they can get away with uh, three or four uh, full trailer loads of meat before you even know what's going on. <laughs> All right, uh, coming in on the close of the show here, uh, Danny, tell us a little bit more about o- overhaul and uh, what you guys do and uh, how what services you provide to your customers. Okay, so overhaul uh, we we do a lot of uh, supply chain visibility uh, through software. Um, we provide third-party uh, remote monitoring for compliance, uh, and we have a, uh, 
uh, the LE Connect team, which is a law enforcement connect uh, app, actually, that is powered by the uh, incident response team, which I am on. Uh, we've got uh, two different law enforcement liaisons for the U.S., John Cannon and Bobby Motley. Between them have some 80 combined years of, of cargo theft law enforcement experience. Uh, so they are fantastic assets when we're enacting a recovery or whenever we're conducting an investigation. Um, and so, like I said, yeah, we also do uh, quite a bit on the insurance side as well to, to sort of help adjust your insurance bills if you're a, a shipper of high-value cargo. <laughs> Now, I'm not super well-versed in those offerings, though, I'll be honest with you. Uh, like I said, I'm mostly on the operational side for uh, recoveries and, and supply chain intelligence. I always thought that was a fun job, like working for insurance companies to help catch like scammers. and um, But that what you're talking about seems like a, a much more like legit um, cause because you're also saving people money. Like If they're doing the right thing and their risks are lower, even if their, their cargo value is higher, you know, I, I, I see mm-hmm. that as a win for those companies, too. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's got to we try to offset, you know, the cost of security, um, which when properly done, the cost is not that great, <laughs> but it is a cost. Uh, it's a cost and effort and manpower, usually. Danny, well, thank you for your time and uh, thank our friends over at uh, Overhaul.com for uh, being with us today. Uh, do you have any uh, social media links or contact information for anyone to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's over-hall.com if you want to look us up on the internet uh, or if you want to contact me directly. I'm, I'm happy to discuss any topics with anybody. Uh, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Danny Ramone uh, of, of Overhaul. Once again, over-hall.com uh, if you're looking for us on the web. Awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's going to be a wrap for us today. I'm James Rister Bowen here with Justin Super Trucker Martin with the Back Truck Up Podcast. And we will catch you guys next week.